How's it feel this week? Uh, Resurrection week. Easter. It's real. My message on what to do when prayer seems to go on unanswered. Uh, Just like on this trip to Guyana, when you don't have the answers, the questions, what do you do? I'd like tonight to start out by telling a personal story. My own daughter, when she was a teenager, started hanging around the wrong group of people. Bad choices that she made with these friends led her into alcohol and substance abuse. She wound up pregnant as a teenager, gave her child up for adoption, a number of times running away from home. The first few times that she did this, she was a talented and gifted student in high school. The first time we actually thought we would hear a police report that she was accosted and she somewhere in a ditch. Many agony prayers that we prayed over a long period of time, 15 years in fact, uh, she got into the occult, reading tarot cards, and any conversation that we had with her, she definitely didn't want to talk about God. It was very difficult, and if you have a wayward prodigal child, I can assure you, I can identify with you, 15 years from 1980 to 1995. In the fall of 1995, our prodigal daughter came home to us and to God. She's, thank you. She was delivered of all the demons, and there were demons. Uh, she was set free. She's married to a preacher, a pastor of a church. They're down in South Florida. They've adopted three foster care babies that are crack cocaine babies. Uh, I have a family. Thank you, God. How long do you pray? Uh, You pray through. You pray through. I'd like to, if I could, paint a picture of four characters in the Bible of what happens when you pray a long period of time and you're not seeing an answer. Some of you there now. What are there? Are there other places in Scripture where stories are said about certain people who went through long periods of time agonizing over the conditions that they're in? The first, you can read this story, but I think you already know it's in Ruth. uh, A very short love story, one of my favorite Old Testament. Books of the Bible. Uh, in those days of the judges in Ruth, Naomi and her husband, because of a severe famine in the land, moved to Moab. Moab was a very ungodly place to be. 
but they moved there, and while they were there, their two sons married two women. Uh, they married uh, Oprah and Ruth. They lived in the famine there as well. They're going through difficult times, desperate times. Famine in the land meant there is no food. They were, they had left the famine in Bethlehem, and they are in a famine in Moab. It's not just the happy marriages because there's still a famine. And to complicate it even more, Naomi's husband dies. Oprah's husband dies. Ruth's husband dies. Now there's these three women with no ability to support themselves. And they're in a famine. I don't know what you have been in your situations personally, or maybe you know of someone who's gone through desperate, desperate, agonizing, yearning, unanswered prayer in your heart for decades, and yet they were still surviving. They were still alive. And at some juncture... Naomi decided to go back to her own land. She tried to convince her two daughters-in-law to go back to your own people. You need to stay with your kind because I have nothing to offer you. We're going to die. I'm going back home to die. Have you been that desperate? Uh, Ruth decided and made a choice. So what do what to do when you go long periods of time without an answer to prayer? My answer to that is you find a Naomi. Maybe in this group. You go find one. And you say this. In those days, Ruth, said in verse 16 of chapter 1, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you for where you go. I will go where you lodge. I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. That's what you do. When you've gone through the gauntlet, and my heart breaks for women in particular, we're living in a time where separation and divorce is so everywhere you look, families have been split apart. Women who are trying to, to, to find employment, balance the checkbook, and get, put, just put food on the table. Uh, there are people within earshot of this church. We're living in a nice neighborhood. This is not slums around us. But believe me, there are people 
that are that this story right now is very personal to them. And I, I wouldn't doubt that even right now, some of you in this room are experiencing some of these depression, discouragement, of wondering hope in a hopeless situation. The end of this story, read it when you get a chance. Read that little book of Ruth. It's so encouraging because God goes beyond your imagination, beyond anything you could ever think of or comprehend. God provided a a Boaz. And I want to mention another thing that when you look in the Gospel of Matthew, in verse 5 of chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus. Jesus came in, in the genealogy of these names that are in Matthew chapter 1. And in verse 5, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and we're going to talk about Rahab too. And Boaz, the father of who? Obed by Ruth. This tragedy of living through a famine for over a decade there beyond any imagination she couldn't have thought that this would turn out this way but the father of Jesse and I think you know their parents of who David King David and the line goes on King Jesus. Uh, This is there for a reason. To give you hope that God can change the circumstances of your life into one of hopelessness and desperation where you actually are waiting for death and to see the life change and the power of God to remake history in your case. So, what to do when prayers go on unanswered for long stretches of your own history? Grab a hold of a Naomi and get a hold of them and say, I'm telling you what, I know your God is my God. I will go with your people. Your people will be my people. And I want to tell you, these people in this building are good people. Uh, they're good people. They're real people. You need to grab a hold of somebody like that to get through these, the darkness of these days, to get through the fact that you may not have the answers, but you'll just walk with someone. Sometimes that's the best friend you can have, is someone who will walk with you. I'm going to go to another extreme, if I may. Um, In Luke chapter 19, there's a man that's powerfully wealthy. He's he's a shady character. He's a government official. He is Jewish. Uh, You know him as Zacchaeus. And that'd be a good chapter to read because Zacchaeus, uh, for whatever reasons, uh, the people of that day really hated him because he wasn't just a tax collector. He was a chief. He was an 
agent of the Roman government to collect taxes from the citizens that were Jewish that lived in the town there. But he wasn't just collecting taxes and the way tax collectors made money is they skimmed off the top to have their own living. And I guess it's this week you have to file your income tax. Is that right? Does anybody just really like tax collectors? I think we're facing some of the same things in our country, but not like that, I don't think. Hopefully, hopefully our tax collectors here aren't skimming off the top. But I know this. I know it's been revealed that the previous administration targeted Christians, targeted Christian organizations, and, and, and caused tax complications just simply because they were Christian. That's the time of period that we're living in. But Nicodemus was this extremely wealthy man, short in stature, but he was hearing stories about this Jesus. Now, what he heard, I have no idea, because as he was that, as he was collecting these taxes, I can only imagine most of the things he heard was complaints. But maybe he was able to hear a miraculous healing, or someone being raised from the dead, or someone who had been personally touched by Jesus, because wherever Jesus went, he, his popularity increased to the point where I had a friend that really thought the only way Jesus could get alone was to walk out in the water. You'll get that in a minute. The crowds began to follow him because where he went, he healed the people. He fed the people. Uh, people, uh, the, the religious leaders didn't like him and did everything they could, but he was very popular. And Zacchaeus heard something, but, and it perked his some kind of curiosity. You might know someone who is very wealthy. It's not wrong to be wealthy, but when wealth is gotten by ill-gotten gain, I read Proverbs every day. Uh, I tell you, there's so much in the book of Proverbs about how you handle your wealth. And there's a good way, and there's not a good way. Zacchaeus was in that not a good way, okay? But he was curious, and he, by whatever queried his heart, his mind, he began to think, I need curiosity was perked to the point when he got to this area of town where Jesus was going to come into town. The crowds were so thick he couldn't penetrate the, the crowds because of his stature. So he climbed up in a tree, up in the tree, and when he saw Jesus, everything changed. So if you know somebody who's very wealthy, maybe a family member who, is, who doesn't want to know anything about God, maybe they have very shady business deals, and you sometimes wonder, uh, could, could God ever reach them because they seem to be putting all their confidence in their wealth and their power? Uh, there's, there's a lust in our country right now for the control 
and the, the ability to have power over people. Is that right? Uh, God, it, when you meet God, everything changes. And when Zacchaeus was up in that tree just trying to be curious to see what would happen, what he would look like or whatever, Jesus looked up, made eye contact, and called him out by name. Inviting himself, I'm going to come to your house. And everything changed. What to do when someone who's extremely wealthy and yet do not know God. If God can, and He will create a curiosity because He's created every one of us with a desire to find Him. If, if they would listen to that curiosity, if they would just be willing to go out on a limb and Jesus passes by, Zacchaeus was a totally different man just from that one meeting. He was a new man. Any person in Christ is a new creature. Old things have been passed away. Behold, all things are new. Isn't that true? So whether you go from extreme poverty where there seems to be desperation, depression, and hopelessness, to extreme wealth, but the focus is always on the money and the power that you have in your control, and none of it is in your control. That's the one thing I've discovered about God. You can have everything like this, and what is it good? What good is it if you forfeit your own soul? Because when you face God, as as Pastor said Sunday morning, every knee will bow. Every king that has ever been a king will lay their crown at his feet. They will bow their knee and confess that Jesus is the Lord. Amen. I'll say amen. He is the Lord. And your wealth, if it's keeping you from God, what do you need? Because inside of Zacchaeus was a desperate prayer of finding reality, of searching for identity. He was lacking, and regardless of how much wealth he has acquired, he was lacking those things, and that desire led him to climb out and go out on a limb where he had a chance to see Jesus where everything changed. And in your life, I will say this, When you really meet the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way, you will never be the same. Everything changes. I mentioned Rahab. Going back and looking at Rahab, let's see, it's in Joshua chapter 2. And again, these are short stories. I know you probably already know these very familiar with them, but I just wanted to bring to your mind, Rahab was in the town of Jericho. Jericho looked 
to be impregnable, is that right? Uh, In other words, they were fortified uh, high, they had the high ground, and when Moses, on the Passover, when they left the slavery of Egypt, because of their doubt, wandered in this wilderness for 40 years. God said, a generation will pass before you go enter this promised land. And when that generation passed, Joshua, out of wisdom, didn't send 12, sty- 12 spies. He sent two. And they went in and checked Jericho out. And I don't know why they would frequent a prostitute. But Rahab was a, how can I say it? Rahab was a prostitute. Did you know that? Uh, And what Rahab said to these men in verse 9 of chapter 2 in Joshua, before these, well actually verse 8, Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For whatever condition Rahab's looked at as being maybe despised for the profession that she was in. She saw the truth. And she realized, maybe for a long period of time, that God was favoring the Hebrew children. And they would take this city. In fact, it goes on to say in verse 11, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house. Her faith, she's a prostitute. Most of us would really look down on someone that would come into our church dressed as a prostitute. But she had faith. She saw the future. And for whatever was wrestling in her soul at the time, she realized the promise of God was upon these Hebrew children. Regardless of how fortified and armed to the hilt they were in Jericho, she realized that their hearts had melted, that the Hebrew children were going to take Jericho. And she was just simply requesting, will you protect me and my family? Her faith not only saved her, but if I go back to that Matthew passage in the Gospel, in Matthew chapter 1, I've already read this. The women that are mentioned in this first chapter have all been dealt with sexual sins. Uh, God picked these people because
because this is where not only King David was going to come in his lineage, but also King Jesus. In verse 5 of Matthew chapter 1, And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by who? Rahab, the prostitute. She's given birth to Boaz, who marries Ruth. That God answers prayer beyond anything your wild imagination would think. Is God capable of anything? There's nothing impossible that he can do. So what I'm trying to tell you, your reputation may have been in your past something that you feel very ashamed of. Can I please encourage you to grab a hold of the truth of the reality that when you're in God's family, all of Jericho falls. The walls fall down. Stop having these walls around yourself and trying to protect yourself from this feelings of, of inferiority because of your own past. God wants you to know he hears your heart and he sees your faith. Just as he saw Rahab's faith and he promised that he would protect her, not just from the battle of Jericho, but he would put her in the lineage that would lead to the birth of King David and King Jesus. Is that, do we have an amazing God? Amen. 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 And there's all kinds of stories in there. What to do, what to do when your prayers seem to go unanswered for long periods of time. Like Rahab, you need to see the truth. You need to see the reality. Like Ruth, you need to grab a hold of a Naomi. Like uh, Zechariah, you need to be willing to go out on a limb. The final character that I'd like to look at, and there's more. There's many more that I could bring to you as examples. But I want to bring to you an example of Moses, man. And Moses, Hebrews chapter 11 lists what's called the Hall of Faith. Men and women who've demonstrated their faith in Almighty God. And it highlights, in the middle of that 11th chapter, it highlights the, the life of Moses. In verse 24 of verse chapter 11, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. I'd like to talk a little bit about that for a moment. Moses' story is a story of a miraculous anyway. Because it was during this time, and you, I, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here. You know the story. Uh, the Pharaohs had dropped favor with the Hebrews' children and enslaved them. Enslaved them. And because they were still propagating so fast, the Pharaoh came to a point where he feared for his own country, and so he decreed that any male child born should be put to death. 
Moses was given birth at that period of time. And his mother, not wanting to see this baby die, made the ark, put him in this ark, and his sister, Miriam, kind of watched this and saw how one of the Pharaoh's daughters picked this child out of this ark and received her, received Moses as her own child. Is that amazing how God can work? Moses had life given to him on a silver spoon. He not only had power and authority, he ate at the king's table or the Pharaoh's table. Uh, he was in line. I mean, there was a number of sons. He was in line to actually become a Pharaoh. But what does it say in Hebrews? He chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And his idea of being a deliverer came about where he actually initiated this in his own initiative. He saw an Egyptian abusing a couple of the Hebrew people. And he took it on himself and actually murdered this Egyptian. And you know the story. It caused him to have to flee the palace, flee for his own life. And that period, what to do when your prayers go unanswered for long periods of time. Moses wound up in the wilderness herding sheep. Does anybody know this? Do you realize what he did? The, the transition from a palace to the desert for how long? 40 years. Is that a long time? Uh, he, he learned the things in that wilderness experience that gave him the ability to help about a million people that were going to be delivered out of Egypt. He learned life experiences in that wilderness. God was teaching him in this wilderness period of his own life. Even though he enacted trying to see the vision that God had put in his heart of being a deliverer, he, he may have acted that out, but it was in the wrong time, and he left the palaces, but instead of becoming so bitter and so angry at God, I know people that have done this. In fact, I will confess to you, I've done that sometimes. I've gotten so angry at God, and I'm thinking, it doesn't change him in any way. Uh, but Moses, what to do, what to do when you've gone long periods of time with no answer to your prayer. Say 40 years. Or you be with, I prayed 15 years for my daughter and didn't even know how to pray. When I got down to uh, toward the end of that 15 years, we mostly prayed in tongues because I didn't know what to say. <laughs> but, uh, oh, it's so wonderful to see a prodigal come home. I've seen a miracle before my eyes in my own daughter. I know this works. And Moses, what to do? Moses saw a burning bush and recognized the reality of God calling him. And actually, if you go back and read this story, you will also see Moses argued with God. I can't speak. I'm just saying. <laughs> and sometimes this human flesh still puts up resistance. But God, if you see God, if 
you can see God, regardless of your past, regardless if you came from a palace and you're out here in the wilderness, I want to say there's hope. There's hope for you. So I'm going to invite people to come to the altar tonight. Are you like a Ruth or maybe know somebody like a Ruth who maybe is in a hopeless situation right now? I would like you to come to this altar and just grab a hold of God first and ask Him to give you a name. Ask Him to lead you into a miracle beyond your imagination or thinking as He did with Ruth. He'll do that with you. Uh, if If you're like Zacchaeus, maybe know someone like Zacchaeus who's all caught up in money and power I'd like you to come to this altar and pray that God would let them or you go out on a limb let them see God passing by let them see Jesus inviting them I'm going to come to your house today Everything's going to change. If you're like Rahab, or some of your past, maybe you've been ashamed of some of the things that you've done in your past, I'm, I really want to invite you to come to this altar and just bow in and accept the identity that God gave to you as a child of God. He's not condemning you. He wants you to receive an inheritance that's lasting and real and eternal. And this is real, folks. When he washes your sins, as far as the east is from the west, they never meet. He's cleaning you up. Let him do the cleaning, okay? And if you're, say, a Moses, maybe you've been in the wilderness for a long time in your life. And you wonder if you're ever going to get out. Is there anything I'm going to ever learn in this wilderness experience? God help me. I don't see the answers to any of this. If you're struggling for this and looking for an answer, and you don't have the answers to any of the questions you're trying to ask, I'm going to ask you to come to this altar and just allow God to set your seat of our in your life. And folks... As we celebrate this Easter week, this this is the way you prove your faith. This is the way you prove it, is by, by letting you see the reality of who you really are. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time tonight.